Proverbs chapter 15. I'm going to read you several verses out of this, uh, out of this chapter this morning. Beginning in verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. Down in verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. Verse 14. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. And down in verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The fathers, we consider these few proverbs out of this chapter this morning. Lord, I ask that your spirit would encourage and embolden our hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that our ears would hear truly what You're saying, that Your Word would get into us, that it might come out of us, Father. Lord, it is true that dark does not push back dark. Only light pushes back the darkness. And Your Word is light and truth to us, Father. And so again, I ask, Lord, pour Your Word into our hearts that Your Word might come out of our mouths. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. American novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne once said, Words, so innocent and powerless when standing together in a dictionary, how potent for good or evil they become in the hands of one who knows how to use them. And Hawthorne was right. Words can inspire us or they can incite. They can declare. They can divide. They are for good or for evil. They can comfort, they can calm, they can encourage and exhort. A few well-spoken words can change the course of a person's entire life. Take Mary, for example. The young maiden, young virgin Mary. The angel Gabriel had just shown up and told her that she would miraculously conceive by the Spirit of God, she would bear a son and was to name him Jesus. And she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And Mary's life would never be the same. A course altered. Certainly altered from what it would have been had she not ended up pregnant with the Son of God, with Jesus. But in accepting the word that the angel brought... Her life changed in that moment in a spiritual way. Her heart changed and she was on a new course, a new direction. And her acceptance of this word didn't just change her life, did it? It changed our world. Her willingness to hear the word and accept it as spoken to her. The Bible has so much to say about words and about how we use them. In fact, it's one of the favorite topics of Solomon throughout the book of Proverbs. Here are a few examples. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11. Solomon writes, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 12, verse 18. There's one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or Proverbs 13, verse 2, and I'll read it in the King James Version. A man shall eat good by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the transgressors shall eat violence. Nineteen different Proverbs refer specifically to the tongue. Solomon mentions the lips 43 times, the mouth 50 times. He calls attention to the use of words 46 times beyond all of these. 
Now you Bible students may recall, Jesus had something to say about the mouth as well. He said in Matthew 15, 18, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. So it originates in the heart, but it's the mouth that declares. It's the mouth that states what's truly going on inside. James says in James 3, verse 9, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. And James says, My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. How is that possible? He goes on to talk about a a fresh spring, saying it can't produce bad water. How is this that we can both bless and curse with the same mouth? Words can bring a powerful good and a powerful bad in our lives. Now, we focus a lot on the impact of God's Word in our personal lives. In fact, I I dare say that in, in most church experiences and as we study through the Bible... Most of the time we're looking for how it can change me, how it can impact me, how it can alter my life. What can I get out of what's being said today? How can this make a difference for me personally? And we could easily use the book of Proverbs as a how-to guide for happy living. Many have done it that way. But once again this week, I feel like God's trying to say something to us. As I read through and thought about Proverbs 15. These verses that I already shared with you, we're going to look more closely at, but they stood out to me. They stood out in, in like a banner as God is, I believe, saying to this fellowship, we have got to turn our attention away from ourselves. And not because you're a selfish lot. <laughs> I don't see us that way. But more and more, I believe the Lord is saying to this church, look out, open your eyes, look, watch, look, the fields are ripe for the harvest. You know, we've been talking about this a bit recently. The fields are ready for harvest. If I understand Jesus right, at best, our personal lives come a distant third in our involvement in our work as a church. Our personal lives are not first place. They're third place to God's greater invitation for those who hear His Word and seek to do His will. Those who choose to follow Him. What do you mean? Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's number one. He says this is the great and foremost commandment. So we know above all other things, focusing on God, loving God, that's number one. So our words are first for Him, our worship, our prayer, our speaking to Him. It's it's for Him, it's not for us. But secondly, we're not even in second place. Jesus says the second command is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. God first, other people second, and then I'm in there third. I come along. How many of us as Christians accept this as the primary standard for the Christian walk? Love God and love people. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you believe that's the bottom line? Love God, love people. Pretty much all of you. If you're still not sure, we'll talk. But let me ask you, if you believe that, if we accept Jesus, if we take Him at His word, and we say, okay, Lord, you say, love God first, love people second... Do our words bear this out? This is what I say my heart believes. Do my words declare it? Do my words speak it? We say we believe this in our hearts. Do our words proclaim it? I've told you, I think we're coming into a season of harvest. Listen to the rain. (laughs) I believe that we are coming into a place where the Lord is calling this fellowship to send workers to the harvest. And it may be workers to distant lands, but it's, I believe, primarily workers right here. That we are surrounded by fields of harvest. We are surrounded by people who do not know Jesus. People who right now are dying in their sins, in their hopelessness, in their lostness. And I believe the Lord has been and is preparing this fellowship to receive a harvest of dispirited people and distressed people. Preparing us to be ready to cover people as they walk in the door with love. To offer the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's powerful teaching here in Proverbs 15 as to how to break down resistance. How to break out into that harvest. How to speak the word of truth. 
the Word, which has inherently the power to save. The Word, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to outline this in three ways this morning. Number one, gentle restraint. We need gentle restraint. Number two, we seek a good reception. A good reception. And finally, we approach this with a genuine regard. Those are the three areas we're going to cover. Gentle restraint, good reception, genuine regard. Number one, gentle restraint. Verse one. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's a famous proverb and absolutely true. The word gentle there literally means soft. Solomon says a soft answer turns away wrath. The word anger at the end of the verse there, a harsh word stirs up anger, that word literally means, I like this, flaring nostrils. <laughs> the Hebrew word for anger is flaring nostrils. A harsh word flares nostrils. can't believe you just said that. And Solomon advises here how to calm a heated argument. Husbands, wives, pay attention to verse 1. It's perfect for a marriage. How do you settle a heated argument? Calm things down. If we apply this to our marriages, to our family relationships, to friendships gone awry, especially in escalating arguments, the best way here to cool down is to lower your voice. Practical advice. Great wisdom for relationships. But we're not just taking these things for us. We're looking at this word and we're asking the Lord, how can our words speak your word? How can our words be used at harvest time? If we're going to be better equipped to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into a lost world, we're going to need this same kind of gentle restraint. Let me explain. Back in 1 Samuel 25, and I'm going to read from there for a moment, so if you want to flip back there you can. 1 Samuel chapter 25. It's a great story about a beautiful, a wise, and intelligent, soft-spoken woman and her idiot husband, a man by the name of Nabal. The woman's name is Abigail, and it is a story of how David ends up meeting. Ultimately, he will marry Abigail. In 1 Samuel 25, David is ticked off at Nabal. You see, he has both protected and respected Nabal's servants and property. When his servants were out in the fields around David and his men, they served as as providers and protectors. They fed them. They cared for them. They looked out for them. And then Nabal's servants go back to Nabal, and David is going to pass through that area and send some servants ahead to seek the goodwill of Nabal, but the doofus scorns them. I call Nabal a doofus a fool because that's what his name means. Nabal means fool, and he is an absolutely foolish man. He spurns David's servants who have protected his servants. And David is angry. David gets stirred up. He gathers 400 fighting men and he heads out to wipe out Nabal and all of his holdings. To wipe out his household. But Nabal's wife, Abigail, the beautiful and smart woman, rushes out to meet David on the way. In verse 23 of 1 Samuel 25, We're told when Abigail saw David, she hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the blame. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Great wisdom in Abigail. She totally lets the wind out of David's sails of anger. David is fighting mad. And Abigail shows up and with a soft word, she speaks, she calms David down, she calms the situation. And by the way, she also brought along with her 200 loaves of fresh bread two jugs of wine, lamb chops, roasted grain, raisin clusters, and 200 packs of Fig Newtons. So she's going to feed these guys. And so David ultimately says to Abigail down in verse 32, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed, 
and from avenging myself by my own hand. Interesting. Now, the end of the story, just to let you know, is ten days later, Nabal is dead by a heart attack. Actually, the Lord caused it, the Bible tells us. But note this. Because of Abigail's gentle words, David recognized that this woman had been, catch this, sent by God. The way she spoke, the words that she chose, the softness in her voice, in her demeanor, spoke to David. And back in verse 32, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. If we are to be received with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to show the same kind of gentle restraint in this world. Now please understand, when I say restraint, I do not mean don't speak the word of truth. I mean find the right way to speak it. Speak it gently. Maybe you're not like me, but in these last days, I find it far easier to stir up anger among non-believers than to turn away wrath. Because I myself get so frustrated with what I see going on and with the sin in our world. And it's far easier for me to sit in the seat of judgment and call down all the awful, atrocious things happening in our country and in our world than it is for me to be loving and gracious. I see all the bad, and I want to speak to the bad, and I want to point out the bad, and I want to carry banners that say I am not like the bad. And we see a lot of that in Christianity today. A lot of holding signs. A lot of protesting. A lot of standing against. As opposed to the soft spoken word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. But see, they need to see the hope first. They're asking because they see in you something different. They're asking because your demeanor is unique in this world of strife and anger and bitterness and frustration. They're asking because they see the hope. Isaiah 50 verse 4, we've read recently, it's Jesus speaking. He says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Gentle restraint in how you speak to a co-worker, in the way you answer a boss, in the things you say behind the boss's back to your co-workers. <laughs> the words you use and choose with an unbelieving family member. All these things will show them whether or not you have been sent by God. So often I come with my own words. The Lord is saying, Rick, I want you to come with my word. And I want you to bring it with gentle restraint. Ultimately, words spoken with gentleness may turn away a greater wrath. Back to Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath. You may have a gentle answer speaking the truth of the gospel to someone, and that word may be the very word that turns away the wrath of God as a person's heart changes and turns to the Lord. So a a gentle restraint. Secondly, good reception. Good reception. Verse 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Again, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. You see, a wise person not only has knowledge, but speaks it in such a way that it's attractive, that it's desirable. Whereas the words of a fool are a great big turnoff. When an idiot starts to speak, you just roll your eyes and walk away. But a wise person knows how to bring words that are attractive. Donald Trump is thinking about running for president. And I was thinking a week and a half or so ago, I wonder how people feel, especially in the Christian community, after Donald Trump lobbed the F-bomb. And I I mentioned that. I don't want to sway your politics, but... (laughs) he comes out and and lobs this and I think, ah, you know you you just undermined yourself in your choice of words you undermined yourself you sounded foolish when you said that and how many of you would want to vote for don't raise your hand 
Vote for someone who's going to speak foolish words. And you know, in politics, that's a tricky thing. You've got to be careful with everything you say. And you want to say the right thing, but you can almost instantly tell a fool by his word choices because foul language is foolish language. It just is. Down in verse 14, we're told in the last part of the verse, the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Down at the end of verse 28, the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You see, foul language is foolish language. Teenagers especially, listen to me, let me say this again. I've said it recently. I'm going to say it one more time. Cussing is not an adult thing to do. It's not cool. It's not tough. It's just plain stupid. When you cuss, when you curse, you look like an idiot. I was talking to Hayden about this last night. We were having this conversation. We went to the Newsboys and Disciple concert last night down in Seattle. So uh, if I'm talking to you later and I have no idea what you're saying, it's because I'm deaf this morning. (laughs) What? We were talking about this and, and Hayden said, you know, the problem, Dad, is that teenagers think it's cool. So when a teenager cusses in front of other teenagers, they all think it's cool. And I said, yeah, you're right, but they all don't realize how stupid it looks. And it really does. And the older you get, the more stupid it looks. If you can't find other words to express yourself but cuss words, you look like an idiot. You really do. You just look dumb. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints, and filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now, I've said that to teens before, and I've had teens say, Yeah, but that just sounds kind of boring, Rick. <laughs> and I say, Okay, be an idiot. Be stupid. Sound foolish. Adults. When you use language, foul language, especially in front of your kids, you just look like an idiot. Now listen, because there's a far more serious thing here than cussing or cursing or even how we look. If we desire good reception with the good news, if we truly desire to speak God's word in a fast-dying world, We've got to consider how to bring it in a way that makes it acceptable. How do we do that? Let me give you four sub-points here. How do we get good reception? First of all, understand this, and this is most important to me. You do not change the gospel. You don't change the gospel to try and make it more acceptable. You don't soft-pedal it. You don't pander it. You don't try to sell it with a set of Ginzu knives. You don't add to it, you don't take away from it. We don't have to change God's Word to make it palatable. We just have to speak it. And so much time and energy and effort is put into changing the Word and altering it to make it acceptable to people when we don't need to do that. The Word itself is the tastiest thing on earth. Psalm 119.103 How sweet are your words to my taste than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah 15, 16, Your words were found and I ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. This is tasty stuff. This is good feeding. And we don't need to do anything to change it to make it more appetizing. You know, here's what we do. Some of you know that I've long had an affinity for hostess cakes. As I age, that's changing. I'm finding much to my wife's dismay, that I far more appreciate home-baked desserts. You know, home cooking. Because when you read the back package of, of Hostess cupcakes, the stuff they put in there to try and make it taste like what home cooking tastes like is, is really gross. It's disgusting. I probably have enough Twinkies in me now to preserve my body for a thousand years after I die. <laughs> And we do that with God's Word. We take this beautiful, pure, home-baked meal that the Lord provides for us and we go, ah, we can do better. We'll add some preservatives. We'll put some phosphates in there. We'll change some things. We'll alter a few things. And we'll package it differently. And then the world will like how it tastes. And you know what ends up coming out is is not as good. Freeze-dried, tasteless, gross stuff. 
You don't change the Gospel. Secondly, we recognize the Holy Spirit is in charge of His Word. Look at verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Don't forget in the bringing of the Gospel that God is absolutely aware of every person you're talking to. That His eye is on that person. That His eye is on this region. That God has not forgotten Fidalgo Island or Whidbey Island or Island County or Skagit Valley. God hasn't forgotten. His eye is right here and He's looking. And He is looking for a receptivity that you and I can't even see. And when God puts it on your heart to talk to someone, to share the Gospel with them, don't hold back because He's already done the legwork. He's already gone ahead of us. He's aware. He's searching. Remember, He's the one who opens the heart to receive the Word. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 21 tells us the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and He watches all His paths. Jeremiah 17.10 God says, I the Lord search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And Jesus said in John 16.8, when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Which is great news. I don't have to be the one who convicts. I don't have to be the one who judges. All I need to do is bring the Word of God. All I need to do is speak the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. God has done and will do the rest. And because of that, when it comes to the whole idea of evangelism and sharing the Word of God, He is the one with whom we need to maintain constant communication. He's the sender. It's His Word we bring. And so He invites us to constantly be in prayer for the lost. Rather than being frustrated over a family member who just won't receive the Gospel no matter how hard you've tried, stop trying and start praying. And start bringing their name constantly, hour by hour, day by day, before the Lord. Praying for the lost, gang, it's not an exercise of futility, it's an exercise of faith. And trust that the Spirit of God opens windows of opportunities. Now, if we can't change the Gospel, and the Holy Spirit is in charge of His Word, what is my part in all this? Thirdly, I can cultivate a good reception. I can cultivate a good reception to God's Word. How do I do that? Look at verse 4. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. I like that. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. That biblical phrase, tree of life, it's used in only three places in the entire Bible. It's used in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, speaking of its literal past in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life. To which Adam and Eve were invited to eat, by the way. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't really need that. Just eat of the tree of life and all the other trees of the garden. And the tree of life, just eat it and have life the Lord offered to Adam and to Eve. So Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see the tree of life mentioned. We see it again mentioned at the very end of Scripture, Revelation chapter 2. Jesus says, I'll offer it, I'll give this opportunity to anyone who follows me to eat of the tree of life. In Revelation 22, we see the actual tree of life there in New Jerusalem. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations, and its fruit is fresh and new every month of the year. Twelve different kinds of fruit it yields throughout the year. It's an amazing picture here, but it's not just a picture. And this is what you need to get. The tree of life has a literal past. The tree of life has a legitimate future. And those are the two times it's mentioned in Scripture, and the only other time is right here in the Mishlei, the Proverbs of Solomon. Solomon mentions the tree of life four times in chapter 3, verse 18, in chapter 11, verse 30, in chapter 13, verse 12, and right here in chapter 15, verse 4, saying, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. What's your point, Rick? Get this. Solomon's use of this phrase, not used anywhere else in Scripture except for the beginning and the end, Solomon's use is, is sandwiched in between the literal past of the tree of life and the legitimate future of the tree of life. Why? Because... According to God's Word, the tree of life is an actual thing. It is not a metaphor. The tree of life, even as Solomon uses it, is not a picture of a fulfilled life or a successful life. 
He's not just saying, hey, a soothing tongue brings l'chaim. A soothing tongue, listen, a soothing tongue is a tree of life. I may be reading into this a little bit. You test it and see. But I believe what Solomon is saying here is the use of spoken words can become astoundingly powerful. That it is by the spoken word that the word of God begins to enter the heart. And as it enters the heart, it sets the person up to eat of the tree of life forever. By use of words, I can cultivate receptivity to the gospel. Soothing words, he says. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Christians are supposed to be caught up in the single greatest, longest running, get out the message campaign of all history with soothing words, words of healing and comfort and hope and peace and love. That is the gospel of Jesus, not judgment and condemnation and anger and taking sides. The word of the gospel is the most soothing word you can offer someone. And by offering that word, you bring the tree of life. David says in Psalm 40, verse 9, I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips. O Lord, You know. I have not hidden Your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of Your faithfulness and Your salvation. I have not concealed Your loving kindness and Your truth from the great congregation. Well, who's the great congregation? The church? We're supposed to just talk about the righteousness of God, the truth in the church? Who's the great congregation? Was it the the people of Israel? The temple? Gang, I submit to you, it's the congregation of humanity. For again, as Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And so Paul says in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Soothing words that bring the tree of life. That means, gang, when I share the gospel with a friend, I'm saying, I know you're frustrated. And I know you're worried. And I know you're discouraged and despairing. But there's a way out with Jesus. There's hope with Jesus Christ. There really is. It's not a big religious thing. The truth of Jesus is that He loves you, that He sees you in the position you're in, in the difficulty, in your struggle. Jesus sees and He knows. And He wants to help you out of it. I mean, we make it so difficult. How simple is that? A co-worker is having a bad week and you say, hey, can I pray with you? Because I know Jesus can make a difference here. Someone who you know is walking in rebellion has a life that's messed up and they're sharing with you and you say, boy, I just wish you would accept Jesus because He'd make all the difference in the world. A soothing tongue. Soothing words of salvation. Not words of condemnation or judgment or threats, just the truth of the Gospel. It's so important in how we present the Lord to this world, in in how we speak these words of truth, because there's a warning to the use of our words here as well. As much as I can be used to cultivate receptivity of the Gospel, I can also crush the reception of God's Word. And I fear... Many of us at points in our lives have actually done that. We've crushed someone's ability to hear. Look at verse 4 again. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. It crushes the spirit. When the non-believer looks at the so-called believer and sees the same perversion that he or she sees in the world, it crushes the spirit. That's why I say what I say about cussing. Not because I want to, I'm not on a clean up the language campaign. But if we're no different than the world around us, and teenagers understand this, if you're no different in your high schools than everybody else, how are you going to show the truth of Jesus? If we're no different in the workplace among those who we work with in our language, in our attitude, in our behavior, how are they going to see the word? How are they going to hear it? And when you start to talk about Jesus, there's that little you know, laughter in the back of the non-believer's head that's just saying, <laughs> hypocrite. You're trying to give me this righteousness stuff. You're no different than I am. 
we can crush reception. And it happened with Tim. My first youth ministry, over 25 years ago, a young man named Tim, sweet kid, junior higher, and uh, I, I got to know him really well and his family, and I know he loved the Lord. I saw a Facebook posting by him last week. In fact, Cheryl alerted me to it because she responded right away. He posted, My life is full of regrets and bad decisions. He posted that. For all the world, if that's not a cry for help. My life is full of regrets and bad decisions. I went and I looked at religion. You know how you can say on Facebook what your belief system is. And under religion, he has agnostic. And I just went, no. What happened to crush his spirit? What happened in the years that followed that youth ministry? Where I saw a kid who I knew loved Jesus at the time. Who was at every time the door was open, Tim was there. Every retreat, every service project, every weekend away, every game night, everything, even the stupid game nights. He was there for all of it. And now his life is full of regrets and bad decisions. And I wonder what changed to lead this young man into this place of self-declared agnosticism. What words crushed his spirit? My friends, this is serious business. In these last days, we need to both heighten and deepen our sensitivity to how our words profess His Word. To the things that we say and do. Not because, oh, I might might be putting my own salvation in jeopardy. Stop that. (laughs) Stop thinking that way. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that no man should boast. And when you have that security in your salvation and the absolute assurance of God's grace in your life, stop worrying about how your behavior is going to affect it and start thinking about how your behavior is going to affect someone else's salvation. Because that's the issue now. It's how I'm presenting Christ to the world. Am I crushing spirits by the perversion of my mouth or is my soothing tongue a tree of life? That's the issue. Gentle restraint to bring about good reception because, gang, we have a genuine regard for the Gospel of Jesus. A genuine regard. Verse 7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge. Verse 14, the mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge. Verse 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. If we are to be wise and knowledgeable, In our sharing of the gospel of Jesus, we must think these things through. I love verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The righteous person is saying, Lord, how do I bring an answer to this person? How do I respond to my family? How do I share your word with my friends? Remember, the Christian life is never about winning arguments. It is only always about winning souls. That's the point. It's never about shouting louder or raising placards higher. It is about speaking gentle, soothing, seasoned words into the lives of people who right now are abjectly lost. And so Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach. You want to be a bondservant? Guess what? You're called to be a teacher of the Word of God. Patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by Him to do His will. My friends, it is not getting easier in this world. It is getting harder. And it will get tougher still. We still, sitting in this barn this Sunday morning, live in the most unchurched state of the entire nation. The statistics have not changed. In a region that someone last week rightly referred to as Laodicea, military couple who was here seven years ago when we started the bridge, and they're back, which I just love how that happens. 
you military people, when you go away, come back. We always look forward to that. Stephen was here this morning playing the saxophone. Wasn't that awesome? He's just here. There he is. And we're going to pray for Stephen because he's about to go on a, on a deployment. But, dang, I totally lost my thought. Laodicea. So this couple went away and they came back and they were they were excited the bridge was here and they were excited to see what had happened over the seven years and it's completely different than what they remembered, which was kind of fun to see. And the wife said, This this area is just it's Laodicea. You Bible students know Laodicea. It's it's the last letter of Jesus in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, the last part of chapter 3, to the city of Laodicea, to these lukewarm, pathetic people who are just not really, they're not hot, they're not cold. They're riding the fence. Boy, that doesn't describe this area that we live in. I'm not just talking about Washington State, I'm talking about Northwest Washington. I'm talking about the islands here. There is a lethargy here. And how do we respond to this? with genuine regard for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we break this lukewarm lethargy around us? I think about this all the time. We did not start this church to add to the number of churches in this area. Please understand that. We didn't start this church so that we could be a spot on the map too and go, hey yeah, there's that church and that church. We're our own little thing here. Cool. No. God called this church into being here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to save lost people. Period. And if you don't want to do that, first of all, you'll be in opposition to God. But secondly, go somewhere else. Because that's the mission of this fellowship, is to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's ramping up, gang. And we need to ramp up in our response. So how do we break this lethargy around us? How do we get the word out? How do we start to see and receive the harvest that I believe God has called us to? We do it with a mouthful of joy. We do it with a mouthful of joy. Verse 23, a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is a timely word. I like the way the King James uh, translates this. A man has joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? As the words are coming out, you're experiencing the joy. Because the gospel is a joyful thing. It is hard to tell someone about the love of Jesus Christ and be sour in your expression. Because the very words are are words of joy and salvation and freedom and peace. The right word given at the right time can make all the difference for eternity if you're willing to speak it. We offer, through Jesus Christ, words of everlasting joy. That's what this is about. That we speak His Word. It's why we don't have to sell it. It's why we don't have to change it. We just speak it as it is because it is pure joy. Now, I know what some might be thinking. Because I thought it for years. Well, that's fine for you, Pastor Rick, but I'm not eloquent. Or I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a speaker. I trip over my words. You know, my tongue gets caught behind my eye teeth and I can't see what I'm saying. I sat in church for years listening to evangelistic messages from pastors going I got nothing to bring here I got nothing a great message pastor we all got excited about sharing the gospel but what am I going to do tell the mailman (laughs) yeah but how about telling someone you know is lost how about just being willing to open your mouth. Yeah, but but I don't know what to say. I've studied the Bible even, and I know what the Gospel is. I just don't know how to say it. I, I, listen, if I said to you this morning that you have the power to change one life for all eternity, just one life, would you believe me? Do you think God could speak through you to change one person's life? Now, if we believe that, this church would double in a year. But... How about this? How about a dozen? Do you think God can use you? I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about His power now. Do you think He has the power to use you to see 12 people saved for all eternity? How about a hundred? Could God use you to save 100 people for all eternity? 
And as we sit and we think about this, we start going, well, I was good with one. Twelve's pushing it. A hundred? Same God. Same power. Still not you. Is it impossible? I want to end with this. Mary wondered the same thing when faced with the impossible. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Mary had just been told a ridiculous truth. Young Virgin Mary, you're going to have a baby. And Mary knew better than anybody else. She had not been with any man. This was impossible. Could not happen. This thing that happened in our world, it could not possibly be. Look at verse 34, Luke chapter 1. Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I am a virgin, literally, since I have known no man. The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. The same Holy Spirit that brought about the birth of Jesus Christ is the Holy Spirit given to you when you come to faith in Jesus Christ. That same power, can that Spirit not birth eternal life? Can that Spirit not offer the opportunity for lost people to be born again? Because you happen to be willing just to open your mouth? Don't stop there. Listen. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. She who is called barren is now in her sixth month. God is all about birth. (laughs) For nothing will be impossible with God, and you've got to see this. Nothing will be impossible with God. Did a little word study here. The word nothing. The word nothing in the Greek is pas rema. Pas is the negative, no, and and then rhema is spoken word. The word nothing here is no spoken word, is what the angel said. No rhema, pas rhema. The word impossible here, I love this, is ah, the negative form, the negative prefix in the Greek, ah, dunateo. So what? From the word dunamis. What's that word? It's the same word Jesus used in Acts 1.8 where He said, stay in, the, in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Dunamis is power. So what? So this is what the angel actually said, gang. The angel says, with God, no spoken word is without power. With God, no spoken word is without power. Say that with me. With God, no spoken word is without power. What is the excuse for a Christian not to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ? With God, no spoken word is without power. It's not just that words... You know, Nathaniel Hawthorne was right. Yeah, you can use words, you can sway people. Words are powerful things. Totally different power. Now we're talking about the power of God. And with God, no spoken word is without power. So Christians understand, when you speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are speaking words that inherently bear the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God. What are we worried about? Why not share? Why not wander up to the co-worker and in your quietness and gentleness and yes, even a little trep- trepidation, timidity, just say, I just, I, I've never told you, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. Are you a believer in Jesus? And if they say, I don't know, just say, can I just tell you that He loves you and, and would like to save your life? And there's power in that. They say, well, what is this thing about Jesus? Well, I just, I just need to tell you, he, he died for your sins and for mine. And He rose again from the dead. And He lives now, waiting to come back. The Gospel. It's so simple, but dang, no spoken word is without power with the Lord. And how does Mary respond? May it be done to me according to your word. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a dynamic, supernatural, powerful word. 
And all you've got to do, all I've got to do, is speak it out. I've told you before, it it amazes me that this is what I do. That this is what I've been called to do. Because I was the kid who grew up going to speech therapy. Because of a cleft palate. You know, I was the kid who public speaking was not on my agenda. It was not my plan. And yet the Lord, the Lord has a powerful word. And when I finally got that, that, Rick, it's not your words anyway. It's not your pronunciation of the words. It's not the way. It's, it's, it's my word. When that started to click in my head, it was like, well, Lord, then how could I do anything else? With God, no spoken word is without power. Father, I pray that You will embolden this fellowship to just speak the Gospel. To be so filled up with the Gospel of truth that we are telling everybody. That we speak it gently, Lord. That we seek a good reception. That we're gracious in the way we speak. But Father, that that we absolutely believe in this Word that we speak. Lord, may we live with genuine regard for the Gospel of Jesus Christ, not as an afterthought, but as foremost in our minds. Not out there trying to speak our words to drum up interest, but simply speaking Your Word, because we believe this, Father, and we accept even the word of the angel Gabriel to Mary, that with You, no spoken word is without power. Lord, we need this power. We're asking You for this power because we believe that there is a harvest of people here. We know and have seen, every one of us, so many lost people, so many broken people, so many here who are hurting, so many like Tim who have lives full of regret and bad decisions. People just like those of us gathered here in the barn. The Father, fill us up with the power of Your Spirit and send us out, workers, to the harvest. Before You come, Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.